Welcome to the teaching ministry of The Cause Church. We pray you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed as you listen to the Word of God. Well, you guys have the privilege of hearing from my wife, Jenny, with me today. And uh, give her a round of applause. Eight months pregnant, looking as beautiful as ever. We've been married for 17 and a half years, and we have two kids and another one on the way. Pray for us. <laughs> um, we actually met, by the way, serving in youth ministry. So if you're single and you're looking for a spouse, maybe you ought to become a difference maker in youth ministry. Um, last week, we started a series called Great Relationships, God's Way, and we're going to continue that today. Life is all about relationships. First and foremost, it's about your relationship with the Lord, and then it's about your relationships with other people. And so since today is uh, Valentine's Day weekend, it's also Super Bowl Sunday, you can decide which of those is more important. <laughs> uh, then we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about marriage today. And just fair warning to any uh, parents that have kids in here, we are going to talk a little bit about SEX and so you may want to go check your kids into kids ministry unless you want to unpack that with them later. I see some people leaving right now. Good decision. They'll have much more fun in kids church and Bible Bowl bash or whatever they're doing anyway. So, <laughs> you know, the, uh, the most important decision you could ever make in your life is whether or not you're going to follow the Lord. That's the most important decision. That's the most important relationship. But the second most important decision that you'll ever make in your life is who you're going to marry because those two decisions affect every other aspect of your life. And so today, Jenny and I are gonna talk to you. The title of our message is Making Love Last, all right? <laughs> Making Love Last. Look at the person next to you. If it's not your spouse, this is gonna be really awkward. And go ahead and tell them the message title and emphasize whatever words you wanna emphasize, all right? Go ahead, so tell them. You guys are nervous to do it. <laughs> Nobody's sitting next to their spouse. What's going on? You especially need to hear this message. All right. <laughs> We're gonna, I'm gonna talk just for a moment. I'll do it as, as quickly as I can, although it's important. I'm gonna talk about why marriage matters, and then Jenny and I are gonna give you some practical uh, wisdom on, on marriage. And so even if you're not married, this is gonna help you. You're gonna learn some things today that are gonna help you uh, in your life. Hebrews chapter 13, verse four says, give honor to marriage, and remain faithful to one another in marriage. Listen, whether you're married or you're single, you're divorced, you're widowed, this verse applies to all of us. Marriage ought to be honored. Unfortunately, in our culture, increasingly, it is dishonored. It's demeaned, it's looked down upon, it's made fun of, it's disrespected, it's dismissed. And most people, certainly people who don't know the Lord, probably don't understand the real purpose of marriage, and even I think sometimes as Christians, maybe we don't understand the biblical purposes of marriage. So let me give you uh, six biblical purposes of marriage. This is why marriage matters. And if you're taking notes, you, you ought to probably write these things down to help remember. Number one is this, God created marriage for the connection of men and women. Say connection. Genesis chapter one, verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis two eighteen. and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. 
What I'm gonna tell you right now is not popular in our culture and I don't care. Because what culture tells you is lies and deception, men and women. The, here's, here's a few thoughts, here a few truths from the Bible. Men need women and women need men. Because both genders, and there's only two genders, <laughs> both genders accurately reflect the image of God. God is the one who created gender, God is the one who created marriage, and God is the one who created sex. Come on, amen, thank you Jesus. <laughs> he made the marriage a relationship for companionship and connection and intimacy. Listen to what Jesus says in Mark chapter 10. But God made them male and female. Jesus is quoting from Genesis. He made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Jesus says three things about marriage right in these verses. Number one, marriage is God's plan. So no human, no politician can get rid of it. And God's ways are always better. Number two, marriage is between a man, and I, should, I need to add this, a man born a man, and a woman born a woman. There are a whole lot of other relationships that society and culture embrace and even promote. There's a whole lot of other living arrangements as well. But listen, none of those are marriage unless it's between a man and a woman. And God made our body parts to fit together for a specific purpose, and he did. Number three is marriage is to be permanent, and nothing and no one should separate it. That's why in our vows we say, until death do us part. Number two is this, God created marriage for the multiplication of the human race. Genesis 1:28. God blessed them and God said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. This is the very first command that God gives that's recorded in scripture. Do you realize that? God's first command is go get married and have lots of sex. What a God. <laughs> that's, that is awesome. And by the way, that's the only commandment that human beings have been able to keep relatively well. All the other ones we mess up. There's 7.9 billion people on the planet right now. Malachi chapter two, verse 15 says, God, not you, made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. And what does he want from marriage? Children of God, that's what. So guard the spirit of marriage within you and don't cheat on your spouse. Number three, God created marriage for the protection of children. For the protection of children. We all know, and, and secular studies prove this, reinforce this, that children grow healthy, they grow strong, in every single way when they're in a healthy family with a, with a man and a woman, with a husband and a wife. Proverbs 14, 26, whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress and for their children it will be a refuge. When you do things God's way, it always works out better for your kids. Number four is this, God created marriage for the perfection of our character. For the perfection of our character. In relationships, we learn to be unselfish and loving and that is nowhere more true than in a marriage relationship because marriage is a lifelong course in learning how to properly love somebody else. You learn very early on that it's no longer about me, it's about we. One of the things that was so surprising to me within about two months of being married, people would ask me, what's it like being married? And when I was, when I was being completely honest, I'd said, I never realized how selfish I am. 
And 17 and a half years later, I'm still learning that lesson. Because the number one goal for your life, listen, this is so important. The number one goal for your life, God's number one goal is to make you more like Jesus Christ. It, it's, it's to build your character. You don't take your career, you don't take your cars, you don't take your clothes with you to heaven. You know what you take with you? You take your character. And so God wants to make you more and more like Jesus. Let me say it a different way. God's number one purpose of marriage is to make you holy, not happy. If you're, if you're getting married to try to have, meet somebody, marry somebody that's going to make you happy, men and women, that only comes from the Lord. God wants you to be holy. He wants you to be more like Jesus. When you serve, when you give, when you love, then you're, you become truly happy. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Love takes out the trash. Love does the dishes. Come on. Love folds laundry. Love watches the Super Bowl Love with your husband. Yes, come on. <laughs> Love watches HGTV when you'd rather watch ESPN. Come on. That's, Love learns to honor the other person. Number five, God created marriage for the construction of society. The construction of society. If you study history, you know that where marriages and families are strong, cultures and nations are strong. Where marriages and families are weak, cultures and nations are weak. Unfortunately, we're seeing that happen in our country right now. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34, righteousness, which means doing things God's way. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin, which is doing things your own selfish way, is a reproach to any people. Here's the sixth and the last point, and then we'll get to the real practical stuff. The purpose of marriage, why marriage matters, and this is the most important one, probably least understood. God created marriage for the reflection of our union with Christ. Marriage is a spiritual metaphor, it's a symbol, it's a walking object lesson that teaches us and shows us how much God loves us and how we're supposed to be in a close relationship with him. Ephesians chapter five says this, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Verse 28, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies and he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Husbands, there's no higher calling than that. How did Jesus love the church? He sacrificed his own life. He gave everything for you and for me and that's what we're supposed to do for our wives. We're supposed to lay down our own lives, our own desires, our own needs and prefer her ahead of ourselves. And so now we're gonna share with you a couple of practical things that we've learned, lessons we've learned, mistakes we've made over the past 17 and a half years, how to make love last. All right, so number one, date your mate. Now, busyness is the number one destroyer of marriages. When you are in the season where you have no time to talk, think, let alone be intimate with each other, you are too busy and things need to shift. We can trick ourselves into thinking that busy seasons will only last for a short time. But have you noticed that as the years go on, we seem to get busier and busier? The problem is that busyness can turn into a habit and a lifestyle if you allow it to. So how do you fix this? You literally need to make time in your schedule to have fun. 
with your spouse and with your kids too. Be intentional. When you get home, turn off your phone, close your laptop. I dare you to turn off your Wi-Fi and see what happens. Hopefully someone's head doesn't explode from not having access to Wi-Fi. But do you know what that does? It sends a message to your spouse and to your kids that you are fully present, that you are there, that you are making time for them. You need to look into each other's eyes. You need to sit close and focus and connect with one another. There's a principle that we learned in a parenting class a couple years ago taught by Tim and Jenny Arietta called couch time. And this can be done for young parents or even if you don't have any kids in the house anymore. And this is the concept. When you get home from work, what you do is you sit on the couch with your spouse for about 10 minutes and you just look each other in the eyes and you talk and you do a quick check-in to see how each other are doing. If you have little kids at home, you teach those little ones that when mom and dad are having couch time, you do not interrupt. I'm gonna talk to your mother or your father first before I acknowledge you. They might throw a fit or a tantrum. You can put them in the room and close the door because they are not the boss, all right? If they are, right? Our, your kids are not the boss, by the way, okay? So let's get that straight. Um, if you have really little ones, they might have to sit on the floor, give them a book, give them a toy, um, and they have to be quiet. But that is mom and dad's time. That is husband and wife time to connect with each other and check in and see how each other are doing. And do you know what that does? It actually sends a great message to your kids that you prefer each other, that you love each other, that you are yeah. spending time with each other. And it gives them a sense of security and love knowing yeah. that mom and dad are taking that time for each other. A couple weeks ago, I did a check-in with my, um, I have a, John and I have a counselor that we check in with every now and then, and he always asked me questions in four areas. He asked me about my marriage, ministry, motherhood, and how my relationship is with my maker, with Jesus. And when he was asking me about my marriage, he gave me a little bit of advice that I'm gonna share with you. So here's $1,000 worth of marriage counseling. I'm saving you a lot of money, okay? He said, when you connect with John, I want you to make sure that when you hug, that you look each other in the eye. When you kiss each other, look each other in the eye. When you make love, look each other in the eye. And he said, when you talk to your church, he said, you tell them that if there's intimacy issues in marriages, if people are going through a hard time, the next time they have an intimate moment with one another, you tell them, keep your eyes open the entire time and you look at each other. Because what that does, that helps to create oneness with your spouse. It breaks down all the barriers. You might cry a little bit. I did. Um, when I came home, looked John in the eye, gave him a hug, started crying. He's like, what are you crying about? I'm like, I just love you. I'm sorry. Your eyes are so green. They're so pretty. Like, <laughs> this message is done, everybody. God bless you. Have a good week. Let's go home. Right? But listen, we can have our eyes in a lot of things, right? Always on a phone, on a screen, busy doing other things. But how often do we take to really, truly look into the eyes of our spouse and tell them that we love them and that we want to connect with them? Take time to do that this week. Also, we need to divert daily, which means do something fun with each other every day. Even just make it a point to smile with one another. When is the last time that you and your spouse both smiled about something? You both laughed. Pastor Bob was great at that. He would tell jokes um, with Sherry, and, you know, John tries that with me. Half the time I kind of roll my eyes. Um, but make it a point to laugh and smile with your spouse every day. Even if you got to Google some knock-knock jokes, that's okay. Weekly, you need to go on a date 
even if money is tight, even if you have little babies and infants at home where you don't have a sitter, you don't have the money, you don't know what to do, look up on Pinterest. Even men, you can use Pinterest, okay? Stay at home date nights, but make sure you have a filter on your computer because there can be some weird stuff that can pop up too. If you need money, ask Pastor Junior. Apparently he's dishing out money to young married <laughs> couples. So. And annually... This is something that my family, ne I never, ever did this until I met John. It was shocking to me. Take a vacation. Even if you can only take three days off, take a few days with your spouse to get away, to reconnect. If you have to take your kids along with you, that's okay. They don't need to go to Disneyland. You don't need to fly them to Hawaii. Do you know what they, our families need? Our undivided attention. You can go on a bike ride. You can walk to the park. You can go on a walk around your neighborhood. But it, the point is that you're setting aside that time and letting your family know that they are the priority. You're letting your spouse know you are the priority in my life. When you're dating, you make time to go on dates, right? And why does that stop when we get married? It shouldn't. It'll look different when you have kids, like I said, but what you did to get married is what you gotta do to stay married. Rick Warren says, if, you were, if there were more courting in marriage, there would be fewer marriages in court. Ain't that the truth? The goal in marriage is to be one. God made us one. Two come together to become one flesh. Dating builds that oneness and unity. This can get lost in a busy season. So make the choice to shift things today. We command you as your pastors to go on a date with your spouse this week. Amen? You guys gonna do it? Yes? Valentine's Day is Monday. Hello, it's an easy given. I know all of our kids are off of school, so that makes it kind of challenging, but we're gonna do what we gotta do, right? Okay, number two, exclusivity. Give your heart, body, and most intimate parts of yourself exclusively to your spouse. Nothing and no one is more important than them, including your kids. Genesis 2:24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It's normal and healthy to prefer your spouse over anyone else, including your kids. This does not by any means mean that you neglect your children at all, but it does mean that you set an example to them that your spouse is your number one priority, like couch time that I just mentioned. When the priority of marriage is removed from the family equation, then your kids are actually denied a level of security and love that naturally flow through mom and, dad, mom and dad's love through each other. And when children enter the family, they're already entering an established social structure. We're a family before our kids ever came along. And when our kids leave the house one day, hallelujah, they're gonna leave one day and go off to college and be on their own and be that independent ain't happening adults. anytime soon, babe. We're having another one next month. I know. But <laughs> we just reset the clock 20 years at least. <laughs> I'm gonna be like a grandpa, 62 years old, what the heck? Gray hair to graduation, that's all right. <laughs> Is that your grandpa? No, that's my dad. Don't. Gosh. And listen, a lot of us, and we've talked to a lot of people in here recently over the past year that have adult children, you know, that come back home, you know, for various reasons. But our goal really is to have our kids grow up and to be established, healthy, independent adults, right? And sometimes things change and shift and they have to come back home for a season and that's okay. But we want our kids to have a healthy relationship as an example so that they can go out and have the freedom and the skills that they need to be fully functioning followers of Christ on their own as well. Um, when 
right after I had Cohen, and I had Cohen and Vey kind of back to back, um, two kids in three years, I think. I was just super busy. I was in that busy mom season, and it was kind of all about my kids and keeping them on a schedule and getting them to bed and all. Remember that all the things. I just and, forgot that until now. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's gonna happen again. Yeah. <laughs> Pray for me. Pray for us. Pastor Bob was teaching a class in room four and five. I don't even remember what it was about. And I had Cohen in there, and I was, like, getting up, and I was, like, pushing the stroller back and forth and, you know, super high strung, and he got to go. Bob doesn't, if he, you know, goes five minutes over, I'm leaving. I got to go because baby's got to go down for a nap. And he, you know, he kind of looked at me, and he smiled. Those of you that remember Pastor Bob, like he did, and he just walked back to me, and he said, you know your kids aren't your own, that you're living on borrowed time. You only have them for a few years, and then they're going to be gone, and it's going to be back to just you and John. And he, like, pat Cohen on the head, and he just walked away, and I was like, what does that mean? Like, I'm living on borrowed time. Like, what are you talking about? But I thought about it, and I've never forgotten that on the way home. What he was doing is he was gently correcting me because he could see that I was wound up so tightly that I was putting my kids on the top part of the totem pole instead of John, and they were becoming my whole world. And, you know, I know that there are days and kids and, you know, all those things. We all understand that if we've been in the infant world. But his gentle reminder is a reminder to you today, church, to not let our kids take the first priority in our lives, to always make room for our spouse there. Even if, if, if it's hard, we have to force ourselves to do it. Yeah, just to say it slightly different, the, the best gift that you can give to your kids is a healthy marriage. Yeah. Modeling to them what, what a, how a man is supposed to treat a, a woman and, and vice versa. And uh, let, let's, let me talk, I'm gonna, you better buckle your seatbelts because I'm about to get in your business right now, all right? So, and I say this, I say this with love in, in trying, to, um, trying to help you. Let me, let me talk about exclusivity for a minute, especially when it comes to sex, because one of the greatest, it, it's one of the greatest keys to a healthy and satisfying sex life. Song of Solomon, if you want to read a, an amazing book, read Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 10. This is the, the wife speaking, I belong to my lover and he desires only me. Our culture and our world teaches us that if you want to have more passion, if you really want to heat up your sex life, then go ahead and watch pornography together. Men and women, it, that is foolish and it is a lie. It is a lie. That has caused more destruction, more harm in marriages probably than any of us can even possibly realize. I'm gonna talk to the guys specifically, although ladies struggle with this too, but let me talk to the husbands for a moment. Men, pornography, what it does to your wife is it, is it demeans her and it turns her off. I've never, Jenny's never talked to anybody either, I've never talked to a wife, to a woman, who's said that pornography really helped us, really helped our intimacy, really helped our sex life. There is no woman on this planet who when you're making love, if you're making love to your wife, that she wants you fantasizing about another woman. It doesn't do, and what pornography does to a man is it diminishes you as a man. It reduces you as a man. Listen, pornography is like, is like eating unhealthy snacks throughout the day, and it, le it still leaves you unsatisfied, and then when it comes for mealtime, you don't have much of an appetite. 
And it does that to you sexually because rather than your desire, your sexual desire and drive, which is God-given, by the way, he created it, being towards your wife, you've given it to somebody else who's not your wife and doesn't deserve it. Proverbs chapter five says, share your love only with your wife. Let her breasts, hello, I just said that. That's what the Bible says, come on. I just got somebody's attention. Let her breasts satisfy you always. Why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman or fondle the breasts of a promiscuous woman? Since I just talked to the men, let me talk to the ladies now. Ladies, your husband can do a whole lot of things with a whole lot of people. He can watch the Super Bowl with whoever he wants, even if you're not interested. He can go get a taco and a burrito with somebody else. He can go out to eat with somebody. He can, have, he can go golfing, he can go shooting, he can, shoot, he can play basketball, he can do whatever. He can even, even occasionally have a deep and meaningful conversation with somebody else. There's only one thing that he can't do with anybody else that he can only do with you. It's like a real quiet in here. The men want to say amen, but they're scared. They don't want to get in trouble. Valentine's Day is tomorrow. They don't want to mess it up. Listen, sex creates not just a physical intimacy. It creates a powerful emotional and spiritual intimacy, which is one of the many reasons, by the way, why God says, have as much sex as you want, but only do it in a marriage relationship with your spouse because of the kind of bond that it creates. All right, Jenny, I'm going to... Let you talk now and get myself. Also, so let me talk to the ladies for a second here. <laughs> it's really hard for a sexually frustrated man to pay attention in church. So if you are wanting your husband who maybe doesn't come to church to come to church, if you want to get him excited about praising the Lord, give him <laughs> something happy to be thankful for on Saturday night so that he'll be eager to wake up on Sunday morning. I will go to church with you and do whatever you want. That is the best want. preaching I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> wow. This is okay, right? <laughs> yeah, you, you guys need to hear this kind of stuff in church. Seriously, men, right? Is that an amen? You guys should have been amen at me all Junior was place. amening a lot more at the other services. His <laughs> wife Sandy's right there. He's, he's watching it. He's being a little bit more cautious. <laughs> a smart man. Okay, all right. Let me, we're gonna, let me give you a few things real quick, just real quick. Number three is this. When you keep score in your marriage, you both lose. 1 Corinthians 13, verse five says, love keeps no record of wrongs. Listen, I realized a couple of years ago I was keeping score. I was keeping score about a whole lot of things. I've done this and I've done that. I'm, and Jenny owes me this and Jenny owes me that. Men and women, when you do that, bitterness and anger and resentment build up in your heart and it, and it drives you away from your spouse. Don't do that. Don't do that. Love prefers the other person and doesn't keep score. Right. Number four, spend the time, the money, the energy to invest into your marriage. There is no more important relationship on the planet than your marriage. If your car breaks down, you spend whatever it takes to get it fixed. If it costs you 200 bucks, if it costs you $2,000, you have to get that thing up and running, right? I don't understand why we're willing to invest money into those things and some of us aren't willing to invest into our marriage. Yeah. If you get stuck, listen, especially guys, if you get stuck in your, in your marriage, in your relationship, rather than continuing to drift further and further apart, if you're wise, you're gonna go get help from somebody. You're gonna go get professional Christian marriage counseling. And if it costs you $200 a session and you have to put it on a credit card, if you're wise, you'll do that. Because getting counseling is a whole lot cheaper than getting a divorce. 
Listen, Proverbs eleven fourteen. where no wise guidance is, the people fall. I'd say marriages fall, marriages fail, fail, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Number five, don't try to fix your spouse, fix yourself. <laughs> there are things after you get married that you don't know until you get married, you start living together, that you find out about your spouse, that irritates you, that frustrates you, that, that annoy you. Even some of the cute things about their personality that attracted you to them. After you've been married for five, 10, 15 years, they annoy you. I mean, I can't think of anything about Jenny right now. I'm just saying, generally speaking, they, they, you can either focus and fixate on those things or you can choose to love them anyways. And some people begin to believe the lie. We're just too different. We're incompatible. We weren't meant to, to be together. We need to get a divorce. I, have, I say this to you in love. If you've ever said or thought those things, grow up. That word incompatible was made up, I think, by divorce lawyers to put more money in their pocket. The truth of the matter is this, is that any two human beings are entirely different and are not perfectly compatible. Love is not a feeling, men and women. Love is a choice. Love is a decision. You choose to love somebody. Even the, the term, we, you know, I just, we fell out of love, that is garbage. That's absolute garbage. It's like you just fell, fell into a ditch and then you fell out of it or something. No, no, no. Love is not a feeling. It's a, it's a choice. It's a decision. If love was a feeling, God could, could not command you to love other people because you can't command a feeling. You can only command an action. So you can, if you've fallen out of love, you can fall back into love. Start doing the same things that you did when you quote unquote fell into, fell into love with your spouse. First and, Corinthians 13, love's patient and kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. Also the term irreconcilable differences that you can check the box on in a divorce petition, that's also garbage. Everything is reconcilable because Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he can redeem anything, anything, church today. So don't give in to that lie. Listen, even in, even, I've known couples, even with infidelity and unfaithfulness, I've seen God resurrect marriages. Let's go to the last point. Number six is this. Number six is fight for your marriage. Fight for your marriage. It's worth it. Go ahead, Jenny, I'll let you Marriage is that. a union of two great forgivers. Jesus' grace makes it possible for us to practice the two most important skills that we need in life, forgiveness and repentance. Only if we are very, very good at forgiving and very, very good at repenting can truth and love be kept together. And church, do you really know, if you study revival in church history, do you know where revival starts? It starts when people get on their knees and they repent before God of their sins. Do you know where revival is going to start in your marriage if things have gone south? by getting on your knees and repenting before the Lord for your own sin first. And then you go and you ask your spouse for forgiveness for your wrongs. Don't focus on theirs. It's super easy, right? Like someone really wise in the Bible said, don't focus on the, um, the plank in your eye and, you know, what am I trying to say? Pregnant brain. And, the speck well, and Jesus said, don't point out the speck in your and brother's, in your brother's eye, eye, you eye when you have a plank, plank in your, your own. own. There you go, right? So the only person that we can truly control is ourselves. And if we are getting good at repenting and asking the Lord forgiveness for things and then going and asking our spouse, that might blow some of your spouses out of the water. If like your husband or wife came to you and said, honey, I'm really sorry for X, Y, and Z. Will you please forgive me? It 
it might revolutionize things this afternoon in your marriage. And this is something that Pastor Bob um, taught when he was, him and Sherry were teaching a parenting class once. When's the last time you asked your kids for forgiveness, too, for doing things that annoy you? Because our kids, listen, they do crazy stuff all the time, right? They lie, they do all the things, they get on our nerves, blah, 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 they don't listen. And we expect them to apologize to us, right? And to repent for their actions, but we need to model that to them. And we can first model that by doing that in our relationship with our spouse. My kids hear me apologize to John when I do stuff that's wrong. They see us hug and kiss in the kitchen because that's healthy and normal, and I want them to see that because I want them to do that um, back to us too and in their own relationships with their peers. Um, 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 7 says, love does not rejoice about injustice, sorry, 13, 6 to 7. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. If you're married, you have to make the decision that divorce is not an option, okay? Murder, maybe, but not divorce. <laughs> Listen. Wow. It makes me feel a little uncomfortable. I want to kill him. I've never said that. We've struggled, we've fought, and we've said really mean things to each other. I think a lot of us in here have probably done that. But we've also made the decision that we are determined, that we are yeah. going to work things out, that we are not going to quit, that we are going to make a difference, that we are going to move forward. I Almost yeah. every marriage in my family, on both sides of my family, has fallen victim to divorce. Even my grandparents got divorced. And let me tell you, it was all painful. None of it was great to go through. It was, none of it was my, you know, my fault necessarily, or not necessarily, not at all. But as a child, seeing the destruction of marriages all around me, I knew, I didn't necessarily know what was right, but I knew that what I was seeing was wrong. And I remember as a six-year-old girl laying in my bed, and I would go to bed at night wishing. I didn't realize at the time that it was praying. And I would say, I wish, I wish. I wish, Lord, that when I grow up, that I can marry someone and be married forever until I die. I wish that we could be a mommy and daddy together and love each other our whole lives and be healthy and happy and not yell at each other and always have food in the cabinets. Just simple little prayers from a six-year-old. Yeah. But look what God can do. And if he can do it for me in the climate that I grew up in, then he can do it for you. Now, there's no condemnation here. If you've gone through a divorce, if you're currently going through a divorce, if you've experienced pain or abuse or hurt, that is what we're here for at the church is to help you and to nurture you through the season that you're in and to put your feet upon the rock and to set, you, set your feet upon a solid foundation so that things can shift and change. And let me tell you, church, that everything is redeemable, that everything is fixable, that God, he is a miracle-working God, and not just for healing. He can work miracles in your family. He can change generational cycles and dysfunctions and propensities, and he can do it in an instant. But many times it's done in conjunction with a helper, with a counselor, with a pastor, with a friend, in a connect group. You gotta surround yourself with healthy people. One of the first things that I did to surround myself with healthy people, because I didn't have it. I literally had no one around me that had a healthy marriage or had a healthy life. So do you know what I did? I started going to church and I started joining, I joined a connect group. 
I joined the youth ministry. I was at church almost every night of the week, surrounding myself with as many people as I could. And I got to see for the first time what a healthy marriage looked like. I got to meet couples that were married for 40, 50, or 60 years. It like blew my mind. I couldn't believe that. I heard these phrases like, you need to date your mate. I'm like, what does that even look like? Like I said, I heard people say, oh, we take vacations and stuff together. You do? That's not just for rich people? Like, <laughs> you can take a vacation like with your spouse and enjoy each other and with your kids and not yell at one another? Like, that, these things just blew my mind. And that's what the church is here for. We are here to help you. We're here to come alongside and help bring the healing power of Jesus Christ into your life right here, right now, wherever you're at. Amen, amen. Let's pray for marriages, babe. Why don't you close your eyes if you would. Just relax for a minute. And Jenny, why don't you go ahead and lead out in prayer and ministry for a moment. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We thank you for the sweet presence of your Holy Spirit that is here with us today, Lord. We thank you, God, that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. We thank you that there's people in here who come from divorced families, that they can break that cycle, Lord, that they're going to make it. We thank you that their kids are going to make it and that divorce is not going to be an option. I thank you that there's people in here that who've gotten divorced. Let them know today, God, that you love them so much yeah. and that we love them. Thank you that this church is a house of healing and grace for them. What matters isn't where they've been, but the direction that they're headed in the future. There's single people in the room, Lord, and they want to get married at some point. I thank you, God, that today that they're going to make a commitment in their heart that when they do make that decision, that it will be for life, that they will marry one person, they will stay married, stay in love, have a strong and healthy marriage that honors the Lord. And if there's married couples in here, Lord God, who are struggling, who are literally living day by day, Lord, I pray that things would shift in the name of Jesus in their households today, that they would turn toward each other, that they would look each other in the eye. If you're married and if you're sitting by your spouse, just grab your spouse's hand really quick. And Father, I pray that you would just infuse the marriages today, Lord, with a fresh touch from on high, that your love would flow through them, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would teach them the principles on how to fight for their marriage, Lord. We thank you, God, where there has been healing, that you would bring more healing. Where there has been hurt, God, that you would cover that with the blood of Jesus, Lord. And I thank you, God, for the strong marriages in the room, that you would continue to use them as pillars, God, in our community, in their families, God, and in, in this nation, Lord. I thank you that America and this nation will not fall to the will of the enemy, Lord God, but that we will rise up, Lord God, as families and as people, Lord God, to show our world, God, that you are the one that is in control. We're not going to bow our knee to culture. We're not going to bow our knee to the temptations and the distractions of the world, Lord, but we're going to set our feet on a rock. We're going to make our foundation you, Jesus. And as long as you are number one in our lives, Lord God, I know that we can do anything. You can overcome anything. You can heal anything, Lord. Father, if there's counseling that need, needs to happen, I pray that that would happen. And I thank you, Lord, for wisdom from on high. For everybody in the room, Lord God, I thank you that there's just generations, Lord God, of children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, Lord, that are going to come from the people sitting here right now, Lord God, that are going to love you and praise you and make your name famous, Lord God. And I thank you that the people in the room today, Lord God, they're never going to walk away from you. They're going to live their whole lives loving you and serving you as a couple, as a team, as two people in unity, Lord. 
We thank you for that, Jesus. We thank you for marriages. We thank you for our single people in the room. We thank you for the widows, even in the orphans, Lord God, that we know nowadays. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that even this Monday, coming up on Valentine's Day, which can be kind of painful for some people, that, Lord, your love would be poured out on every person in the room. They would know that they're loved by you more than anybody else. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can keep keep your eyes closed just for a minute. That's so beautiful, powerful. Feel God's love in this place. And we'll, we'll be done in just a minute, I promise. But men and women, God loves you so much. It doesn't matter what you've done, what you've been through, what you're going through right now. He loves you. And uh, his love is just unconditional for you. He loves you way, way more than the, the, the greatest of human love you've ever experienced doesn't even compare to God's love for you. And that's why he gave his son. He gave Jesus to live, to die for you, die for your sins, bring you into relationship with God. He rose from the dead so we can know him and walk in relationship with him in this life and for all of eternity, be with him in heaven. <laughs> most important decision, most important relationship. Maybe you're here today, you're watching online, you've never made that decision before to give your life to the Lord. You wanna do that right now or you're, you've walked away and you wanna come back to him just right now. Everybody's eyes closed. There's privacy right now. If you say, John, I want to make that decision right now. I'm coming back to the Lord or for the first time making a decision to be in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Raise your hand right now, wherever you are. Just raise your hand. Hold it up. Hold it up. There's hands going up right now. Somebody in the back over there. Awesome. Somebody over the side. That's great. Anybody else here? Somebody over in this section. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Several hands. So good. So good. Another hand in the back over there in that back corner. Another hand way in the back. Yep. It's awesome. Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, another hand right there, that Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Church, let's pray this prayer. There's three, four, five hands that went up right now. Let's pray this prayer of salvation out loud, real strong right now, in agreement. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. I know that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of all my sin. I surrender my life to you. Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior, make me a new person, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm going to live for you every day, and I declare that heaven is my home, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Can we celebrate that church, amen? Thanks for listening to this message from The Cause Church. For more information about The Cause, or for further resources, visit our website, thecause.cc, or call 714-255-0930.